of this is quite as clear to me as what that was, but uh, we'll work on this. So, two to eight. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. I have taken off my dress, how can I put it on again? I have washed my feet, how can I dirty them again? My beloved extended his hand through the opening, and my feelings were aroused for him. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers with liquid myrrh, on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and had gone. My heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer me. The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me. They struck me and wounded me. The guardsmen of the walls took away my shawl from me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, as to what you will tell him, for I am lovesick. Alright, so here she's asleep, but her heart's awake. So we're back again to what I think is saying this is kind of a dream. Um, but I don't know that I really, it really matters a whole lot in this one, uh, whether we think of it as a dream or think about it as a real story. I think either way it's expressing the challenges in marriage. So, you know, we've seen kind of the marriage ideal. But the reality is getting married doesn't mean we're automatically going to live happily ever after. And our intimacy grows with challenges and and struggles. We're flawed and fragile people. And, you know, we have the insecurities and the fears along with the joys. Um, you love anything, you make yourself vulnerable. And certainly you can see the vulnerability here. So we start out with the beloved's knocking, appealing to her to open up to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. Why well, he's got them all right there. You know, uh, he's, he, he's, uh, using every, uh, pet name for her he's got. You know, asking her to open up. He says, my head is drenched with dew. Seems a little odd to me. Were you I could on see, your head? <laughs> I could see being drenched with rain. But, uh, you know, so it, it makes you wonder exactly maybe where you, what's going on there. But he's requesting. He's not demanding. You know, he's saying, listen, I really, I really want to come in to you. Now, I believe this whole section contains a lot of metaphors. And so I think there's more than meets the eye in this verse, uh, and, and in what he's saying here. Um, but she is hesitant and unenthusiastic. You know, they clearly <laughs> don't have the same mindset at the moment. She says, I've taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? You know, I've washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? I kicked it out of bed. I mean, look, you know, uh, why were you late again? I don't know. Uh, you know, he's knocking, but she's not in the mood to be bothered. And, uh. Well, he doesn't want her to put on the dress. <laughs> well. <laughs> well. 
Well, she needs to look presentable. Uh, yeah. When she opens the door, she needs to have the door. <laughs> she can hide she behind the door as she opens it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're dealing with so many different levels in this. So we're, we're dealing with the door scene in, in one sense to describe something else. Um, but, but the fact is, she's not responding. And she, she regrets that shortly. But her excuses sound pretty flimsy. You know, doesn't sound like she's that interested. And, uh, you know, you think about what she said back in 1-7, where she said, tell me, oh you whom my soul loves, where do you pass your flock? Where do you make it lie down at noon? You know, I want to come see you at noon. I can't wait till the night. And, uh, now I say, ah, I put, I've taken off my dress and I, I can't put it on again. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I can't, I can't get up, you know, uh, so, you know, what's the opposite of love? Well, sometimes it's not hate, sometimes it's indifference, you know, she just doesn't much care, you know, oh well, stay out there in the do if you want to. Um, On your head. Yeah, and so, but he, he seeks her, he extends his hand through the opening. Um, and again, I think we're very metaphorical here, probably. It's difficult. You're dealing with the dreams, the symbolisms, the metaphors. Some of it gets a little complicated, and sometimes I'm not sure where to draw a second meaning and where not to. Um, but, but what happens is, she ends up changing her mind and decides she really wants him to come in. And she... The door was locked. You know, she more or less told him to take a hike. He's not worth getting out of bed for. And now that she comes to the door to open it for him, now that she's decided, yes, she wants to to, to be with him, he's gone. It's too late. He got discouraged. You know, male egos are fragile. And this was pretty devastating. Maybe she was just playing hard to get, but if so, she overplayed her hand, you know, and it's too late, you know, and, and so she opens the door and now she wants him and she can't find him. It sounds like it was going to be hard to open the door because it would be slippery. <laughs> Well, maybe. Honestly, I didn't take it that way at all. Yeah, I don't know that it's that. I think, you know, maybe it's his cologne on the door or whatever that, you know, makes her, reminds her of him uh, again. Well, if you put his head against the door, there'd also be dew on it. <laughs> Could be. I thought she had perfumed herself with the No, myrrh. I think he That's, left the myrrh is what I think. No, I'm with their eyes. She, she like, changed she, her mind. She's like, oh, she, wait, and let me get dressed really quick and get yeah. that perfume on that you like, and then I'm like, opening the door, and yeah. like, you're not there. I'm with Sarah. Uh, I don't think so, but whatever. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, no, no, she is with me. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with her. So, uh, you know, you think about spiritual application so much in this. Remember, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said. How many times will you refuse to open the door to him? You know, you think about the, the banquet the man provided and nobody wanted to come. You know, it's easy for us to sink into indifference in the relationship with the Lord and delay in responding to Him. You know, it's like, oh, I don't much care. You know, I'm not really interested in being close to the Lord. Uh, obviously, it's not the same kind of physical closeness, but, but I mean, I think it's a loving relationship where sometimes we treat the Lord like, I could care less if you're around. You know, just bug off. I've got my own life to live or whatever. 
Now, we don't say it that way, but do we act that way? Do we show that kind of indifference to him? So, she she goes out to find seek him. And she, she seeks, she calls, nothing happens. The watchmen finally find her, <laughs> shades of chapter 3. Only this time, they beat her up. You know, and uh, I'm not sure what the deal is with that. But it irks me that he never says anything about this. Well, I guess he's gone. Like, why does this never come up again? Like, hey, how did you get beat up? Comments on that. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe it didn't leave any bruises. I don't know, but uh, you know, but but think about this from her perspective. You know, what is she doing right here? She is admitting that she didn't have the right attitude. She's swallowing her pride. She's she's she tells the daughters of Jerusalem, listen, if you find him, tell him I'm lovesick. You know, she humbles herself. She admits that she desperately desires him. You know, you know what happens in a relationship is there's some kind of a a a problem and neither side wants to budge. Neither side's willing to admit, hey, my attitude was wrong. I'm so sorry. I love you and I want to be with you and whatever. You know, we got to brazen it out so that we don't, you know, hurt our ego. And well, she had no ego in this. She is desperately seeking him, clearly letting him know she she wants she wants him, which is exactly the thing that helps in that situation. You know, there are misunderstandings that occur in relationships, but when we humble ourselves and reaffirm our love for our mate, it makes all the difference in the world. There's going to be challenges, and there's going to be you know, tensions and, and problems for various reasons. But they've got to be resolved with humility and with seeking each other again. So that's what I see in this. Thoughts and comments through verse 8. So are you interpreting this as like some general relationship problems or just specifically sexual? I think specifically sexual here, but I, on the other hand... That's all kind of put together anyway in a relationship. So I, either way, I think it, it's fine. But I suspect this is uh, intended to be intimate. So, what did we say about the Watchmen? Well, they. Uh, I don't know what I know. those guys are doing. I guess she's, uh, you know, out after curfew or something. I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what to do with that, really. Okay, we don't have any idea what that. If that is symbolizing something... It probably is, is, but I don't know what. Okay. She's, she's so desperate that she's being illegal somehow. Yeah, okay, that may be, maybe that's <laughs> the idea. She's out. risking getting beat up by the watchman just to try to find But her. they didn't beat her up the last time. Well, it's the second offense. <laughs> fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. <laughs> it could be just kind of like her... Feeling the punishment of her decision. Right. Could well be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. With some of this, wow, we don't know. I mean, when you're dealing with a dream with symbolism and metaphors and whatever, it's just hard to figure out, you know, what goes with what. So uh, any of that seems okay to me, but I don't I don't have a strong position. Symbolism in the Bible is bad enough, and then when you put it in a dream. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. And, and in love poetry. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is wow. This is uh, this is complex in time. Sometimes it's pretty clear, I think, and sometimes it's like I get the overall idea, but there's some details here. I'm just not sure where to go with. I don't see that as just the whole 
feeling, you know, made a, a, a feeling of regret. Uh, yes. I, mean, I was yes. beat up or something. It's way, way worse. Yeah. That, that makes just, sense. Just the way the other is described in a, in a positive way. <laughs> right. Things that aren't literal or real. That makes sense. So was she asleep as in like, like were you saying, I guess you weren't sure if she's dreaming or if she was like asleep and then he came and woke her up and... Yeah, I, I could be either I'm taking it as a dream, but I, <laughs> but I, I don't think it really matters it is, because yeah, I still take this as being the kind of situation that happens. Whether she's imagining it again or whether or not it's really happened, it's, it's it clearly it is describing these, you know, <coughs> tensions and challenges in the relationship. I have a question about verse 4. Yes. My beloved extended his hand through the opening and my feelings were aroused for him. So I get the second part, but I don't know what he did in the first part and I don't know if I'm just missing something. Well, I think in the in the, in the the metaphorical sense at least, maybe it's like the door is locked and, and he's trying to reach his hand in and unlock it and he can't do it or something like that. I think in the metaphor that's probably the idea that he's done everything he can to get in and there's no way for him to get in. I suspect there's a secondary meaning as well here. But, but I think that's, that's kind of the idea of the door scene is, you know, he just can't get in despite his best efforts. Because I'm trying to figure out what it was that he did that made her finally go, oh, wait, because that's what I, that's how I take my feelings were aroused for him. So, as. so anyway, you look at it, the closer he gets to her, the more time she has to think about it, perhaps, the more effort he's gone to to seek her. All of those things may be things that, you know, lead her to a change of heart. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like when he got his hand through the window or whatever, and she like saw his hand, and it was right. like a part of him, and then she was like, "Oh well, I guess I will let you in." Right. <laughs> so are we like blaming all of this on her, or should he not have left it? Really? Um. <laughs> I don't think in this story we're seeing blame on him. Now, you know, it could have probably been either one of them here. I don't think this is a necessarily a gender-related <coughs> thing. But I think the way we're looking at it, she really rejected him and said, go, go away, and he does. So I don't think this is really showing. But now we'll see in the next chapter, he doesn't respond to this by you know, trying to distance himself from her or being playing hard to get or, you know, whatever. He's very responsive the next time we see him and so forth. So he's got the good attitude. But yeah, so I think in the story, like we've got it, it's her it's her lack of interest. With this spiritual application kind of reminds me of what Felix told Paul, you know, I'll come to you at a more convenient time. Uh, that's right. Kind of... Uh, that indecisive, you know, well, it's, it sounds good, but, you know, not for now. Yeah. That's good. But it kind of seems that the way that this was resolved for her was, like we were saying, like, he reaches his hand through or whatever, and now her feelings change about it, and, oh, now she's all interested. But that is not very realistic in real life. Like, like you don't always resolve those things by suddenly feeling different about it well yeah maybe maybe this is uh accelerating the time frame 
But I think it's very common that when we show disinterest in each other, even at any level, and then we realize, oh, wow, I do miss him, I do want him, I don't... You know, we feel guilt and we feel regret, you know, and and I think we do in many levels in our relationship when we've not really responded by showing an interest and desire for each other. So... But, but yeah, maybe not just like that. Or maybe, who knows. Yeah. To be honest, like, this sounds like, like, I know that it's, especially here, talking about physical love and that kind of thing, but that, it really sounds like disagreements that Paul and I would have about something very silly. Like, yes. this is exactly what I would do. Like, say no, you know, disagree with him or whatever, and then be like, well, no, I really do, like, want your of attention course. about this thing. So it seems really normal to me. I totally see myself doing this. Of course, and it seems normal to every married couple, I suspect. And, you know, on, on many levels, yes, exactly. I mean, it would be nice if every married couple always, you know, just... Um, we're perfectly in agreement and wonderfully <laughs> harmonious, but I don't think any of them are. Maybe there are some, uh, you know, models of that, but I, I think uh, in real life, no, there are challenges. It's not, it's not always wonderful. I think we need to see that. I think we need to know that. You know, if we, if we got married imagining this is going to be, you know, and they lived happily ever after getting into each other's eyes and never taking their eyes off of each other, whatever. No, it's not going to happen that way. And uh, there will be challenges, but how do you deal with the challenges? Well, the first step is she seeks him. She tells him, hey, tell him I'm lovesick, you know, and, and she's humbled herself. She's had the regret. And, and there'll be some other things we'll see at the first part of Chapter 6 as well, I think, in that. All right. Other thoughts or comments? 9 to 16. What is your beloved more than other beloved, more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the waters, by the rivers of waters washed with milk. And fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set in barrel. His body is carved ivory and laid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Is this what goes on in a woman's mind? <laughs> I, was, I was always wondering what all that meant. <laughs> well, this is her chance to describe him. He'll take three to describe her, but yeah, I think so. You know, her great interest in him leads the daughters of Jerusalem to say, Why is he so special? And she was just ready to answer that question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I would say she replies somewhat more in terms of what he means to her more than a 
physical description. I, I, I think his descriptions of her are more physical, and hers is maybe a little bit more, you know, his his value, his character, things like that. He is kind of like the epitome of, of true manhood. He's strong, he's glorious, he's magnificent, you know, he's uh, valuable, you know, and... Uh, yeah, so he, he says, my beloved is dazzling and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. I mean, you can't find any 10,000 men, he'd be the, the guy that stand out. You know, to her, you know, it doesn't matter, you could have a million men and he'd be the only one you'd see. You know, his... Well, we're like talking like height, then maybe. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, but because she loves him, yeah. he, she's just like to her, to him. She's the only beauty there is. To her, he's the only handsome man out there. Is you, ready a good thing? Absolutely, yeah. It is always. I mean, it's uh, it means nice looking. Okay. Yeah. Like they said that of David. Yeah, it meant he was nice looking. Okay. I thought it just meant. Like, with David, it was like, oh, you're, like, too cute to fight Goliath or whatever. Like, no, I think it means you she's just, good looking. Like, red cheeks is what I always Let's thought Look of. it up. Yeah, so, so you said, like, a... What was the word, ready? Yeah, ready. Ready. Are you ready? Okay. He was only a year. Oh, it is ready. I'm working on it. Yeah, I don't know. Um... Sorry. He likes saying that. He's just a pretty boy. He's not a... Having a healthy red color. That's how I did. A healthy red color. Well, he's always just red. Yeah, no, like the only definition that has anything to do with that is red color. Okay. Yeah. What are the other? You don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are. We'll leave that. No, no, it's a uh, British euphemism. Uh, okay, yeah. So, um, but you know, his head is like gold, pure gold. His locks are like clusters of dates and black as a raven. So he's got ravens really and goats, black and hair. <laughs> you know, golds all over his body. You know, and gold's the most valuable thing. His eyes are like doves bathed in milk. Uh, I think the idea is he's got you know glistening pupils in the middle of the white eyeballs or whatever. Ew. Uh, this guy does not sound attractive. <laughs> well, it's all depends on your. He's clear eyed. He's got nice. He's white red. Clear he eyes. has really white eyes. <laughs> and he has really large legs. <laughs> <laughs> now, you gotta, you gotta understand. We say things metaphorically or, you know, symbolically. We weren't judging when he was talking about her. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> His cheeks are like a bed of balsam, banks of sweet scented herbs, his lips are like lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. I mean, kissing him is just a real trip. She loves it. It's a what? A real trip. (laughs) He's dating himself. No, she's dating him. Yeah, well, there was something about dates back here in verse 11. But, uh, and raisins, apparently. Um, his hands are rods of gold set with barrel. His abdomen is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. Again, it's difficult to know, but if you think about the source of ivory, that may be something more meaningful than what appears on the surface. Um, his legs are like pillars of alabaster set in pedestals of pure gold. You remember the statue in Daniel? How, as you went down, the metals got less valuable. Doesn't get less valuable with him. He's gold from top to bottom. 
you know, his mouth is wonderful. This is my beloved and this is my friend. He's our daughter's Jerusalem. So she is just so impressed with him. He's also her friend. I mean, this is not, she's impressed with him not just because of the, the intimacy with him, but because of, of, of just the closeness to him. He's a friend to her. Now, think about what he, she says when she says in verse 16, he is wholly desirable. Uh, I think King James says he's altogether lovely. And see the application of that to Jesus. I think that's uh, useful to reflect on. You know that, you know, he's the epitome of every virtue Jesus is. You Think about, with Jesus, there's no virtue that you can think about a better example of that virtue than Jesus. You know, he is the best in every good quality there is. You know, he has each virtue in its most mature form. There's no rough edges. You know, there's nothing to, um, you know, think about when you praise somebody. You, like, like you talk to a friend and say, uh, well, even like maybe you were trying to set somebody up, and you're like, this guy's really, you know, he's top notch. But as you say that, you're going to feel like either you have to kind of leave out some of the warts, or kind of hold back, or you kind of have to say, yeah, I mean, you know, but, you know, and uh, there's nothing you have to apologize for in Jesus. You don't have to make excuses for it. You don't have to say, you know, he is a little rough here, but if you consider the circumstance, if you knew his background, you know, there's nothing like that with Jesus. You know, um, he's, he's just... What he teaches is, is attractive. His life has no reproach. His character is wonderful. You know, he's altogether lovely. He's he's uh, wholly desirable. So I think this is a great passage to, again, think about how we ought to look at Jesus and how we ought to just be so impressed with him, you know, and chase every other rival out of our heart. We ought to have, you know, a closeness to no one but Jesus in, in the spiritual sense. And uh, so I think... You know, so many of these things, it's really helpful to realize that there is a wonderful application in the spiritual <laughs> realm. Uh, now, you realize what we're doing when we're making a spiritual application. This, we're not doing this allegorically. We're not trying to say, well, you know, the balsam represents this, and the lilies represent that, and the myrrh, which is what some people have done in the past that I think I'm just, I don't think you can do that. But I think to see this in a general sense, as, as showing the relationship between Christ and his people is very helpful. So, thoughts and comments on all this in chapter 5? I think it also points to, like, when you're thinking about why this book would be here for us, too. I mean, it, it may not be an actual allegory, but thinking about, okay, what, like, why, why would this have been left here for us? And I think it is to draw parallels. Like yes, I think it certainly helps us in the marriage relationship. Right. And in just the, how intimacy is to be used. But yes, I think it also tells us so much about the relationship that we have with the Lord. It makes us think about that in a different way, perhaps. God drew that parallel so we reflect on different aspects of our relationship with Him. I think you mentioned this near the beginning, but I feel like this is just so practical for when you are having some kind of disagreement that uh, one of the things that you do is think about all of the things that you love about the person and why yeah, you're right. with them in the first place yeah, and kind right. of focus on that. And that makes the disagreement seem so much smaller and so much easier to figure out, which yeah. is 
exactly what we're seeing in this chapter. Absolutely. And you would look at him and you'd think he surely wasn't that that handsome. He was to her. She loved him. You know, that the love transforms how we see the other person. And so when I don't see my husband that way or my wife that way, what's the problem? I don't love them like I should. If I love them like I should, I would see them as wonderful, as beautiful, as handsome. And I, I, I'm not saying that we're blind to ways to help them. I think, think that's not the case. But but there's many things we are blind to when you love somebody. It just changes. Think about even just, um, you know, when you really care about anybody, you tend to see them differently and you overlook things. You don't even notice them. I think that's oftentimes true of parents with their children. You know, man, parents sometimes are just unreasonably you know, blind to their children's faults. But why is that? They really love their children. Now, sometimes that's a bad thing if they're not disciplined or whatever. But, but you know, it's kind of like having a face only a mother could love. Well, it's nice that the mother loves it. And, and when we're married, we, our love, you know, controls how we see each other. And, and it does greatly help how we deal with problems and challenges in our relationship. This is probably too graphic, but what it made me think of, and it is a real thing, um, I was learning with Calvin, like, when they're making a mess, like, when they're puking and stuff like that, if it's your kid, or it's, even if it's your nephew, to some extent, you know, it's not quite so gross, because it's the kid that you love. That was remarkable (laughs) to me as a father. I really had very little difficulty changing diapers for my kids, but I never like changing dirty diapers for other kids. <laughs> it is weird. It is like, I really thought that would be a challenge for me, and it really wasn't. And I, I, I don't, you know, that's hard to understand. And even like, you know, when Kyle split his head open right before he came back from Brazil, you know, I dealt with that much differently than I'd have dealt with anybody else. It is so, yeah. Having that relationship changes how you look at things. But it's kind of weird, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. And then just thinking about the way that the Lord loves us, despite our problems and despite our messes, and which is really the key. I think if we can understand the Lord loving us, you know, we have His love poured out on our hearts so that we can share that love for others, and I think. You know, really understanding how he loves us and sees us as beautiful. How could God see us as beautiful? That is amazing. Because he loves us. And that is encouraging. He's not holding his nose when he looks at us. Uh, But it's also a wonderful challenge for us as to how we treat other people. And certainly here, how we treat our mate. Other thoughts? Well, we did pretty good to get through all that, I think, tonight. And, uh, you know.